across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, your local food and drink programme. I'm Matt Bentman. And I'm Alan Alder. Uh, no Sue Bailey this week, but we have got a feature from her and she'll be back next time. And on today's programme, we're looking at increasing food and drink prices. We go from pizza to patisserie with the father and son team behind Amelie Restaurant. What's the difference between a medieval and a Georgian salad? Sue will reveal all. And what's it like to be a volunteer at a community farm? And interspersed amongst all that, we've some food and drink news, and at the end of the programme, food jobs too. So, let's tuck in. Yeah, well, what's happening to local food and drink prices? Nationally, we've had the fastest price increases for decades. Some foods have gone up by 80% in one year, cheddar cheese, for example, and white bread and pork sausages. Sugar has gone up by 42%, sauces, salt and herbs by 37%, and overall, the price of food has gone up by 19%. So if you spent £100 on food a year ago, those same foods will now cost you £119, and they're still going up. The reasons are many. Transport costs have affected most prices. Poor weather has pushed up the cost of imported tomatoes and therefore the price of many sources. There's the war in Ukraine. Global agricultural giants increasing their prices to increase their profits. Farmers unable to get enough of their crops collected because, well, Brexit has reduced the number of seasonal workers coming to Britain. But what is happening now and how are customers reacting? Alan spoke with some local sellers and I asked some local pub managers too. We begin at Cambridge Market, where Alan asked Chris of the fruit and vegetable stall that's opposite Popeyes, and he had some good news. Chris, what's happening to food prices at the moment, fruit and veg? Uh, well, luckily we're getting a, a local season coming now, so uh, pressure's reduced on imports, especially in vegetables. Um, cabbages, cauliflowers, a reasonable price. We've got broad beans and peas coming in, local courgettes, so we're importing far less. Uh, uh, even uh, stuff from Spain now is coming down in price. Uh, nectarines and peaches they seem to be moderating in price. Right, because they'd had some storms, hadn't they? Had that affected the... Yes, several price? weeks ago they, uh, their cherry crop was wiped out by uh, thunderstorms um, but now we've got other pl- we've got English cherries coming on stream now to yeah. ease the shortages but how do the prices of them compare with say a year ago the, the homegrown produce uh, yeah there are definitely price increases due to um, obviously fuel costs and labour costs some places are struggling to get labour still are they really right okay but the outlook at least in the foreseeable future is good by the sound of I, it the outlook for the rest of the summer is quite good yeah as long as we get consistent rain yeah then the outlook is good. What the winter will bring, who knows? Indeed, who knows? And is there anything you particularly recommend at the moment because it's really good quality or it's just the time of year to 
Uh, I, think, its best. I think uh, English summer fruits, we've now got red currants in, as I say, English cherries, English strawberries, English raspberries. Now's the time to make a summer pudding. And who can resist summer pudding? One of my favourites. Uh, good news there, anyway. But what about the price of fish? I asked Ben Roberts about that. Ben buys his fish from the fish auction in Grimsby and you can find him on Saturday mornings at Grantchester Street in Newnham. Ben, can you tell me what's happening to the price of fish? Well, in, in general, everything's up because of a lot of factors. You've got increases in the fuel costs and wage costs, etc, etc. So a lot of the fish that's auctioned is governed by how much is left after things have been pre-sold. And the pre-sold fish because it takes that out of the market, bumps the auction price up, and then the auction price says, oh, the, the price of fish has gone up, the people that pre-sell... And you can find him on Saturday mornings at Grantchester Street in Newnham. Ben, can you tell me what's happening to the price of fish? Well, in, in general, everything's up because of a lot of factors. You've got increases in the fuel costs and wage costs, etc., etc. So a lot of the fish that's auctioned is governed by how much is left after things have been pre-sold and the pre-sold fish because it takes that out of the market bumps the auction price up and then the auction price says oh the the price of fish has gone up the people that pre-sell the fish say oh the auction price made more i'm going to charge you more and and vice versa and it goes on and on and on so the pre in general prices are up across the board for everything and even more so in farmed fish farm fish is very very uh, up in prices because you've got the increases in the price of feed and getting it from a to b and and everything all the logistics of it, everything's gone up you know and, and every stage of it and are there any are there any good buys at the moment <laughs> there's always good buys <laughs> some days you'll have a lot of one fish uh, and the price will drop it's supply and demand so you can get good buys of, of haddock one week next week it might be lemon sole like it's this week um, it just fluctuates with the, the, the supply and uh, the demand of the fish. Right, so really. it's un unpredictable. How can people find out what's a good buy just by looking at what the prices are? Well, that's the thing. Uh, I don't change my fish prices with market prices, so I, I will either have a better week or a worse week. So that's how it works for me. I mean, if you try and do that, I think all you end up doing is people buy whatever's cheapest that week and you don't end up selling the things that you've paid a lot for. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. OK, so there's, uh, <laughs> there's, no, there's no bright news on the horizon then? No, not immediately, no. no. It doesn't seem to be, no. But so everything is up at the moment and I, th I can't see it coming down too much at any time soon, really. Right. But has the rate of increase continued? Uh, it's just been a steady, steady growth. It did jump up um, last year with the mini-budget etc and everything all sort of went haywire and things have come down a little but not a lot, just like the fuel, yeah. you know, things have come down a bit but not back to where they were and I don't think they will, you know, I think now people have got used to paying it, that's what they'll pay. And food and drink in pubs, what's the story there? Here are Epi, who's manager of the Petersfield, Kieran, manager of the Alex, and Callum from the Geldart, all speaking to Matt recently. Yeah, I think I've, I've noticed that people are going for the, more, uh, for the cheaper options. It's difficult because obviously we don't want to put our prices up any more than we have to, but given the current climate, it's difficult to keep keep up with, especially with energy costs as well. Mm. Everything's going up, food costs. Um, I've seen a lot of difference in the price of, say, something like fish and chips, which, you know, back in the day we could have charged £12, £13 for, now it's got to sit about £17. Um, and so I do think people are being more conscious on, on what they're ordering and, and how often they're going out, especially. Yeah. It's, it's becoming more of a treat rather than an everyday kind of thing. We've put it off for as long as we can on most things, but there have been times where you've had to raise our prices, even just slightly, 
or we've had to change what beer we're getting in altogether just because previous stock is just becoming too expensive and it's not really a viable option anymore so i'd say it's mainly affected our like keg rather than our cask because cask has always been a little bit cheaper part of it is well we wanted to change and some stuff was selling slowly the other part of it is just they were just getting a bit too expensive for uh, yeah, it's definitely affected people's um, spending habits as well as their kind of attitude and people are a lot more aware of the price as well. Like people, it's noticeable how people are asking to look or asking how much and so people are definitely budgeting uh, noticeably and also with the price increases it's not, it wasn't one hit, it was many, many increments throughout from the pandemic all the way through to uh, recently, uh, the last quarter. So people have just been kind of fatigued by the constant up. It's not just one time it goes up by a pound. It's like, it seems kind of every couple of months there's like a price raise. And so it does affect people's uh, attitudes and spending habits. UK supermarket food prices have apparently gone up by more than 25% in the past two years, and that's according to the consumer group Which. And Mark Poynton of MJP at the Shepherds tweeted yesterday that his small eight-table restaurant, uh, the monthly fuel bill has gone up from £600 per month to more than £5,000 per month. Uh, that happened last December, and that was with some supposed government help. And now details of free food available in and around Cambridge and the information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app and that exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. And today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that Liz, who lives on Hills Avenue, she's giving away an unopened bag of celery. Wilson on Coleridge Road, he's got 11 white batons, four tiger baguettes and three cinnamon Danish pastries available. Uh, Petrie near Orchard Park, he's got a box of 50 Twinings Darjeeling tea bags going spare. Ezra on Chesterton Road has some open bottles of coffee syrups, whilst D on Ramsden Square has a whole pineapple and two chocolate muffins for anyone who would like to pick them up. There was evidence of more items on Olio today, but they'd all been claimed quite shortly after they were posted up on the site. So that just says it all, really, doesn't it? You've got to be quick if you want to pick up some good items, some good free items on the yeah. Olio app. Yeah, and there is another free app called Too Good To Go, and that has unsold food from restaurants and shops often at less than half price and rather than specifying each leftover item the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag and that's ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading now amelie they're well known for their flomkoosh flatbread skinny pizza and you can find amelie restaurants upstairs in the grafton center they were runner-up in the Best Value Eat category for their Flemkoosh in the Observer Food Monthly last year, and they made it into the Good Food Guide this year. But did you know that they do more than just Flemkoosh? And at their Chez Amelie residency at the Cambridge Cookery and Bistro in Purbeck Road, just off Hills Road behind the Sixth Form College, that's where they are, and I caught up with the son, Alex, Alex Creppy. Caught up with him this week to talk about this new direction which is being led by his father, Regis. Well, I wanted to talk to you first about your dad. A little bit about his background and his history. I suppose the family history. I think it's important to cover because there's something new going on with Amelie. I grew up in the kitchen with my dad 
Food and wine has been a massive influence in my life and growing up we always wanted to create the business hence Amelie and going forward having a residency at the Cambridge Cookery School which is got a pseudonym of Chez uh, Amelie. Naturally he's classic chef, he's had several very successful restaurants around East Anglia and the Cambridge Cookery School we have noticed that there's a huge demand for patisserie hmm. um, a lot more than there is at the Amelie restaurant which is where he really loves working. I mean, this massive passion for French patisserie naturally, being as French as they get. They say in it, to be a real chef, you need to know how to make desserts because pastries, desserts, anything sweet requires specific ingredients, specific temperatures. If you're making a bread, you can't be too humid, it can't be too dry. You have to use a certain yeast, a certain flour. It's a lot more chemistry orientated. Mm. It's a different discipline to just roasting a chicken. And he's, he's fantastic at it. He loves it. It's really his bread and butter, as it were. <laughs> and so he's, he's been doing that at the cafe, really. I guess everybody has certain dishes that they remember their parents making. Did, lemon have... tart. Yeah? Yeah, it was lemon tart. That was mainly because I've been asked, I've requested it all the time. Lemon tart, he'd try and spice it up sometimes by having some burnt chantilly on top. I was having none of it. I just wanted quite fortunate enough to always have homemade pastry mm. with a lemon tart. It was uh, the first thing I knew how to make as well. I started working voluntarily in the kitchens, probably about 12, 13 years old, and just seeing how everything was made. And the lemon tart and creme were my, my two little babies that I would do. I, I adored it. I loved it. I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to go the chef direction. I loved everything about food. And I still do. I mean, food is... My whole day is spent about what's going to be for lunch. What are we doing for dinner? What wine should we get? In France, you get that everywhere you go. At lunchtime, they're having lunch. In the small rural towns, they'll close shop. You might even get that in Paris. In the bigger towns, they'll close up shop for lunch and get together. And I think that's really important. You don't have that in England. But it's a really important part of the day um, that should, should be done, really. Mm. Yeah, I was, just, I was just thinking about the, the continuity of things, how you learnt from your dad, you saw what he was making, you had what caught your eye, and you just told me before we started recording that you just had a baby. Yes. I guess here's the chance for that cycle to go all over again, and you get the joy of seeing, you know, what's going to take their interest. A hundred percent, I think. Firstly, my dad is a much better chef than I'll ever be. Why do you say that? Because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember you uh, telling me you, you, you studied at a very prestigious... Um... Yeah, well, so, so, did, so my parents actually met there and then um, I went there 30 years later. Mm. But it's not really a cookery school. It's more of a business, business school and, and, and directed to, around hotel management and resort management, I guess, and the financial side of things. Mm. More, I mean, you, you do a bit of time in the kitchens, but not, not much. And they stuck to it a lot more. I'd love, I'd love my son to have the same passion yeah. than, than, I, than I have. Marie as well, my, my partner, she's just as obsessed with food as I am, so yeah. we'll see. I'd love to, well, I mean, he, he can go any direction he wants, really, but... Um... It's just something I've always wondered. I grew up, um, I never followed in my father's footsteps, and I know he always wanted me to, but I just didn't. I didn't have the, I didn't have the passion for what he did. He was a biker. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a big motorcyclist. He used to race at the TT races. No way. I, even though I was surrounded by it, even though I grew up with it, it didn't catch on with me. And it's something that's always fascinated me is, you know, sometimes how children latch on to something that their parents are doing. They just see it as perfectly natural. Passion is a big word for it. I mean, passion is the key word. You, you've got to enjoy it. I think a lot of 
especially when you're younger, you kind of look up to your parents, you think, oh, okay, that's what they do. I'm going to follow their footsteps because it seems to be that, I mean, they've got the contacts, they've got the knowledge. To stick to it and actually be persistent with it, you've really got to enjoy it. I can only speak for hospitality, but it's been pretty rocky over the past few years. Yeah. And absolutely adore it. Absolutely love what we do. And so if, if, if my boy can get that too, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we go back to your dad, because your dad is now taking on, or rather he's making, he's making cakes, which is a different angle for Amelie. In a way, I think with Shea Amelie at Cambridge Cookery School, hmm. he's been introducing a lot of tarts, gâteaux, and cakes. So we've been doing it for quite a while. I mean, a year, we've been there for a year. That's where we started getting demand. We change them daily. My father makes every single one of them, the tarts and the gâteaux. Um, he makes tiramisu's. On the French side, I mean, tiramisu is obviously Italian, but he is pretty flexible in what he does. Um, there's been more and more requests of people actually just coming in and saying, oh, can you do this for a birthday? Can you do this for a christening? And we, we really enjoy doing it. It's something that, for my father, he, he gets to really be creative and does anything. He gets given some directions from the customer and everyone's been really happy. You know, it's worth mentioning because perhaps to the casual listener, they may be familiar with Amelie. Well, you've been winning so many awards lately for the Flamcouche. Which we're really thankful for. The Flamcouche is still our predominant product. Mm. Amelie's still known for its flamencouche and, and um, flatbreads. The cafe is where he spends most of his time as well. And it's just a perfect surrounding for it. You've got the big terrace that seats everyone for the summer. You've got a beautiful setting inside. Teen um, with the Cambridge Cookery School um, has done a fantastic job and really created a, a nice, fresh, clean environment. Mm. The tarts, the patisseries, they just work really well there. Yeah. So it's something that we've seen that fits. So Amelie Restaurant in in the Grafton won't have any other tarts. Yeah. It's, it is predominantly at the Cambridge Cookery School. So on our Instagram, Shay there is a variety of different tarts. We can even do quiche savoury. We, we are really flexible. Mm, um, on the website currently, we don't, won't, but we are building uh, a website as we speak. Good. Cool. All right, excellent. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. In that feature, Alex said, to be a real chef, you need to know how to make desserts because anything sweet requires specific ingredients, specific temperatures, specifics. And that was the same drive that Kevin De Simone from Modigliani Cafe on Mill Road was talking about just a couple of episodes ago. Now, he was a head chef in a kitchen, but he felt compelled to move into patisserie because that's where he truly felt that his passion lies. Now, Regis Crepe of Amelie, Alex's father, he's owned several restaurants in East Anglia over the last few decades. He's won three AA Rosettes and three Michelin Red Forks. His patisseries are especially worth checking out at the Cookery and Bistro in Purbeck Road. Patisseries such as a strawberry fraisier cake with a layer of creme brulee, glazed chocolate mousse cake, tart tatin, anything is made to order. You can also get things like uh, fresh quiche, Turkish eggs and Mediterranean dishes there too. And one more thing, they've also got another pups brunch on Sunday the 30th of July. Uh, that's something where you, you take your dog along, there'll be homemade treats for them, flemkouche for you.
I see, right. <laughs> well, a quick news briefing now, starting with Dolcedo in Eddington, who have announced really quite exciting plans for expansion. They're going to create an entity called Dolcedo Social. It will house the Dolcedo Bakery, but they'll also be making gelato, and the eating areas will be flexible. There'll be a gelato parlour, a dessert kitchen. They'll be selling brunch that will be on offer, as will lunch, afternoon tea, dinner. Uh, and the menus will evolve and will sometimes offer formal dining and at other times relaxed bistro-style eating. And that's due to open at the end of this year or the beginning of next. In Congratulations Corner this week, we welcome Cambridge resident B. Wilson, who has been shortlisted for two awards with the Guild of Food Writers, and that's in the Food Writing category and the Investigative Food Work category, both for her work for The Guardian and the London Review of Books. And Jenny Jeffries of South Cambridgeshire has been shortlisted in the self-publishing category for her book, For the Love of the Land. The awards ceremony will be held on the 6th of September. Also in Congratulations Corner is Brew Board of Halston. The Brew Board is now the principal partner of Cambridge United Football Club and their logo will be on the front of the team's shirts. That's quite an achievement. And the first time I think we've ever mentioned football on the programme. Yeah, quite possibly. And congratulations also goes to Fitzbillies. They've won Best Bakery in the Eastern Region at the National Bakery Awards. That was announced on Thursday, I think. Congratulations to all. Yep. Mark Poynton of MJP at the Shepherds has been tweeting new dishes and a new menu over the last couple of days, including things like seaweed-cured salmon with buttermilk, horseradish caviar and dill. They look fantastic, so have a look at social media for more. Cambridge Sustainable Food are looking for volunteers from Tuesday the 18th to Friday the 21st of July. This is to help them sort surplus food grown at Co-Farm for the food hubs to assemble food parcels. They also need a driver, collecting surplus from local supermarkets for distribution to the hubs. Now, these are all morning jobs, so if you're a good sort and you've got the time spare, or if you're just interested generally in being a volunteer outside of these opportunities, then do get in touch by email to Becca, B-E-C-C-A, Becca at CambridgeSustainableFood.org. And finally, did you know that the government's plan for high street rental auctions could see developers converting vacant or flagging pubs into other properties like flats? Well, this could have happened to the Kingston Arms, for instance, if current manager Mark hadn't have stepped in. Well, camera the Campaign for Real Ale, have created an e-lobby tool to stop pubs being converted, losing the vital role they play in the community. With Camera's e-lobby tool, your email could make all the difference. The tool is a template to email your local MP to ask them to save protections for pubs. It's as simple as that. Just head online to camera.org.uk forward slash save our pubs for more information. And of course, selling a pub can raise so much more money than many, many years profits from the pub so you can see that developers are very keen to sell them off and that has great implications for community cohesion mental health all of that sort of thing Mm -hmm. okay now we're going to move on to our next feature now and if you fancy a bit of outdoor volunteering co-farm on coldham's common welcomes you on thursday morning or afternoon for a three-hour session sunday morning or afternoon or tuesday evenings You can sign up on the CoFarm website via the Volunteer tab. Now, you do need to register there if you wish to take part. 
I visited Co Farm back, well, back during COVID when they had the 10 p.m. curfew. Sounds strange to think of curfews now, doesn't it? But uh, I wanted to get a view of the Co Farm project from the volunteers' angle, and hopefully this will give you an idea if you're thinking of volunteering. In a field just off Barnwell Road, there's a whole lot of digging going on, and planting, and harvesting. It looks great in the sunshine. What was once a bare field is now yielding large amounts of veg for local food banks. This is Co Farm, and it smells great. We're just getting wafts of this lovely breeze and the, something coming off the flowers, I guess. It's just sweet air, and it's just it's stunning. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, so we are standing in a fenced two-acre plot. Surrounding us are rows of vegetables of all different kinds, and we've got everything from lettuce to fennel. We even are growing aubergine here, which astounds me, and it gives me hope <laughs> that we can actually grow things like that here. They grow everything here. Half of the area, it's full of vegetables, from tomatoes to smashing, pumping, sorry. But the other half, it's full of, I think that they call it cover plant or something similar. Mm. The cover crop is going to put more nutrients back into the soil. That's the hope anyway. And everything on the interior of this fence will then be cultivated. So we'll be growing vegetables on every inch of it. Some are deterrent for insects, some are for enriching the soil. Mm. So it's quite interesting. Right there. And it's quite unusual to see that mix of poppies and cornflowers and daisies and everything. I don't even know what they all are, yeah. but it just looked incredible. And these bees going like, I'm a happy bee. <laughs> it's perfect. I really want to eat the whole mm. field. It looks so nice. <laughs> so you're quite inspired, aren't you? Yeah. And I'm learning such a lot, really. Apparently, the, well, the ponds do you know, keep the wildlife which means they can keep down things like aphids, mm. slugs. I mean, I've got, in my garden, I've got loads of frogs and they keep the slugs down. And I, you know, you have, you have to sort of pair things together to keep the balance, don't you? And, and then I, I learned something really interesting that, that a lot of orchards used to have ponds and apparently it, it kept the, um, the temperature sort of more even in the orchard. And so, you know, it's so interesting learning <laughs> all these little sort of ecological things, you know, it's really interesting to, to find out. There are many volunteers. Hello. Hello. Uh, Millie, this place is beautiful. Just as you're spraying the celeriac here, I can see the rainbows forming in the water. Yeah, it's very relaxing to come out here. This is the third time I've come here now. Okay. I've come here like five or six Sundays. Mm. It's, it's great, it's amazing, it's, it's lovely. Isn't it nice to have fresh vegetables? Oh yeah, like there's honestly so much. So I'm watering the celeriac at the moment. There's <laughs> tomatoes on my left, winter spinach that I've just watered. Then there's beans. There's just about everything here, to be honest. There's even a black tomato bush. I haven't tasted yet, but a bit of a novelty. They, they come up split, you can eat them. It's like, oh, there's no one will eat it. We cannot give it away. Huh? One for me. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we make an effort to go to pick your owns and things at the right time of year out of town. But this is something else. Well, I've never seen those yellow beans before. Cheap tip. Cheap Looks like one. So delicious. Yeah. Oh, really good. The annelino. Yeah. <clears throat> Italian shrimp bean. Okay. Just collecting some tomatoes, beetroot and some beans. I just already feel like I've learned so much. <laughs> Such a productive morning for me. Yeah. Yes, let's do that before the planes come again. 
Oh, I love the fresh water smell because <laughs> it hits the soil. It's lovely. Sure. What is it we're watering here? It's spinach. Spinach? Yeah, spinach. We planted it on Tuesday. Uh-huh. And when it is watered, we will, we will need to cover it with that fleece because of the pigeons. Ah. They are waiting in the bushes <laughs> for it. Let's know. You look at the rows of brassicas and everything's so beautifully regimented, immaculately looked after and planted, and that's replicated for all the different types of vegetables. Co-Farm started just a few months ago. I think it's been going since June, hasn't it? Yeah. And I know there are people who've been here all the time, but I like gardens and uh, gardening and all the rest of it. <laughs> I feel, having looked at this, that I know nothing <laughs> and I just don't know how to grow anything. Um, and I wish I could sort of grow stuff so success successfully in the allotment, but hopefully I'll be able to transfer some of that knowledge and do what I'm doing better. <laughs> and there are many varieties of vegetables, so it's mm. interesting to discover not uh, tomato or carrot, but many varieties yeah. of these that exist and the way they taste is different, the way they grow, etc. It's a very nice kind of community feel here as well. Everybody mm. helping each other. And mm. I have learned from this lovely lady today so a few <laughs> tips as well, which is really nice. It's also been very welcoming and very easy to just sign up for and turn up and start doing something. Yeah. Like, I don't really know anything about farming outside of this space. And I feel like Pete and Dom were very good at setting you up to do whatever mm. you need to do. Yeah. And giving you interesting little snippets as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the recurring comments from the volunteers here is just how much they're learning, how well they're learning. I mean, I never even knew that I didn't know. And that is due to the horticulturalists Pete Rapson and Dom Walsh. Those guys, they're always here, they're always helpful. The sounds as well, the air is punctuated by their conversations, the low hum and uh, laughter in the distance. It's just, it's a joy to be here and of course the sun is shining today so it's even better. I feel also, for me, it was a great motivation, just the whole concept. I just really loved it, the do something beyond yourself. This was like something which kind of helped me to wake up early today. <laughs> to be honest, I'm so impressed how quick you can learn and there's so many people to teach you as well, like giving you a few tips, so yeah. I wandered over to a lady who had a whole row of veg to herself. She was checking the bulbs beneath the plump green leaves. So I've got to look for the big ones and not pick up the small ones, so okay. I'll be rummaging. What is it that you're picking? Beetroot. All right, here's one. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good sound effect. Yeah. So you separate the bulb from the leaves? Yeah, apparently, I was just told, it's quite interesting. We learn all sorts of little things, but Apparently, if you twist it, it doesn't bleed. If you cut it, it bleeds. Yeah. Oh, with a beetrooty red. Yes, oh. yeah. Learn all sorts of little, little things like that. So some of these are quite small. So just, oh, here's a big one. That, that'll do. Juicy. That's glorious. So, yes, it is, isn't it? So, so you twist it apparently like this. And, uh, apparently, you can eat these, but we're not doing that on this occasion. I never knew they just sit above the ground like that once they're uh, ready. No, I didn't. No, my, my father used to grow these. I thought I knew all about it, but I, I realised I'd never picked them. He always picked them. So I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> like such a mixture of vegetables and all the other spaces just filled up with more wildflowers than I've ever seen, actually. And all growing wherever they feel like, though that's probably not actually where they're growing. But um, it's lovely. Yeah. 
different season you learn different things and I think it would be nice just to learn about different vegetables uh, the moment I have got uh, pretty good experience now <laughs> harvesting uh-huh. I'm very happy yeah very happy yeah if you get up close to the corn as the wind's blowing through it the rustle of the leaves make is a gorgeous sound you should get right in the middle of it it's lovely Are we coming towards the end of the day now? Um, what time is it? I think it's nearly four. That's a quick few hours, isn't it? It doesn't seem, it's it's so hot, it it seems like two. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. And when enjoying doing things, it's like time. Yeah, yeah. So So I better get on with the fennel picking before I go then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you had to pick fennel. Yeah, Yeah, you got to pick fennel. Oh yeah, I did that last week. The fact that it's outdoors, I love to do outdoors exercises. I mean, it's only, what, a mile and a half to city centre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Leo? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) This is stuff that you, you, if nobody teaches you, it's hard to learn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we definitely want to come. And quite a few of these people I've been speaking to today, it's their first time here. Right, wow. They're just having a nice time and enjoying the day, really. Yeah. So they're just happy to be out. Yeah, well, it's perfect. I mean, I just I would recommend it to anyone just to come and stand on the edge and have a look in. That's you know what we did, and then they happen to be open today. But and uh, then what an amazing like, yeah. Bring a spade, and so much you can do here. <laughs> you want to get stuck in, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you? What if you could eat one thing? What would you eat right now? Mm. Some of those really fresh cucumbers from the box. But also, one of the big reasons why I'm volunteering is the fact that then the food all all gets donated to local food banks. So on a bi, tri-weekly basis, there's a big picking effort here, and it's all packaged up, so it gets to the food banks as fresh as possible, just hours after it's been picked. So people who haven't got the resources actually have access to fresh, healthy produce. It's just a really nice way of getting a lot of people in touch with kind of like a seasonal growing calendar that you really don't have if you're just buying all your food from the local supermarket. You know you need to make the effort at first to go and try something new but uh, yeah I mean I love it so (laughs) just keep coming back. I feel like a rabbit eating carrots. When I was a kid, I used to hate eating stuff like this, but now they're great. Yeah, they're just really too much processed food. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the beginning, back to the basics. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to make a move because I need to put this stuff together. Okay. So I'm just going to say a quick goodbye. Okay, bye. And nice to meet you all. Come back and volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you don't have to come all of the time. Just, you know, if you want to just come once and experience the place and just volunteer, then that's perfect. If you want to come back, even better. <laughs> all right, thank yeah. you very much. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Yeah, have a good one. Cheers. Take care. Yeah, no, nice but, to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice to, to meet you. Bye-bye. 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 B
www.co.uk. Yeah, I checked. Golly. And it's definitely cofarm.co. <laughs> takes right. you straight there. How time-saving. <laughs> <laughs> All the crops harvested goes to the local community food hubs and food banks as they're providing free food to those in need. And donations are also accepted for the CoFarm project. It all helps to keep this system running and being able to tackle health inequalities which are especially prevalent in a city like Cambridge. You know, there's a, there's a donate button on their homepage as well at cofarm.co. Right, we're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back with salad and a roundup of jobs in the food industry. Don't go away. Cambridge 105 Radio. On Sunday afternoons, relax with Jazz Today and Pete Butchers. Join me for music at the cutting edge. Mainly new releases, many on small independent labels. The stuff you rarely get to hear elsewhere. I'll also be keeping a watching brief on jazz events in and around Cambridge, as well as chatting to local and visiting musicians. Jazz Today at 4pm every Sunday afternoon on Cambridge 105 Radio. Go on, challenge yourself. It's forecast to be another hot summer. Watering the lawn, cleaning the car, filling up paddling pools. It all adds up to a massive strain on our local water resources. But did you know a hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour? That's as much as an average adult uses in a week. And every single litre is high-quality drinking water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply Cambridge's chalk streams, including the cam. If we all switch our hose for a watering can this summer, we'll keep millions of litres in local streams. Can for the cam. And not only will you save water, but you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, here at Cambridge Water, we'll be doing ours, finding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. You can find out more about saving water and why it's important at cambridge-water.co.uk. Just look for Can for the Cam on our homepage. Can for the Cam. Ditch the hose this summer. The ultimate challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. Gather your colleagues, hit the water and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a range of bankside entertainment, food stalls and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival organised by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio Cambridge 105 Radio Welcome back to Flavour now, Sue may not be with us today, but she did record a feature for us at Saffron Walden Museum, where cook and food historian Monica Aske was giving a talk and a demonstration on historic salads. Now, regular listeners will have heard Monica's voice on flavour over the years. Monica's interested in all British food from prehistoric times to now. She's run cookery, orchard and allotment projects and co-wrote a book called Orchard Recipes from Eastern England Landscape, Fruit and Heritage. She's even written online recipe cards to accompany the BBC's Harry Biker's Best of British series. Well, this time, she's making three salads from three different time periods. All very different, but very much their own thing. So, the first salad you're going to hear will be a medieval one, then there'll be a 17th century salad, and finally, a Georgian one. I find 
The development of cellars quite fascinating. I think my favourite to begin with was the medieval one, um, and then I made the 17th century one for an event and was really impressed with the different flavours. There will be a chance to taste them all at the end, but taste them individually because if you have a little bit of this one and a little bit of that one and a little bit of another one all on the same dish, you're not going to get the full effect of each one. I'm going to start with making dressings. Actually, all the dressings are pretty similar. So basically a vinaigrette, but with slightly different ingredients. So I would normally put mustard in dressings I make, but um, these are sort of more simple. So olive oil, and yes, they did have olive oil in medieval times. And they did import quite a lot of things. Obviously, these salads are more sort of high-end dining, the sort of thing that somebody with a lot of money and wanting to show off would make or would be part of their meal. This, normally I would use something called verjuice, which was a medieval ingredient that they used a lot. It has also um, appeared in recent years as quite a trendy thing. Not so easy to get hold of in this country at the moment, um, although I did notice some online, this is the closest. This is a uh, white condiment, so it's balsamic, so the base leek. And then bulb fennel. Do feel free to ask questions as I go along as well, or make any comments, please. This verb juice is grape juice, isn't it? Yes, yeah. unfermented. Yeah, usually. Um, but in this country, sometimes it was made with crab apples. And I've even found recipes for something called summer verjuice, mm. for when you've run out of the, the grape or the crab apple, made with either gooseberries or sorrel. Mm. So you get the sharpness. So the verjuice, how do you spell that? V-E-R, juice. Sometimes you'll see it written V-E-R-J-U-S. The thing is, I mean, there were no conventions of spelling until comparatively late. So you do find things spelt in all sorts of different ways. I don't know whether, I, I always imagine crab apples. It's been a long time since I've had mm. those as having their very own, like, rather sharp... Well, that's the whole point. Fur juice means green juice. So the whole point of it is that it's a sharp condiment. Actually, although it's sharp, it's not as harsh as vinegar. Okay, that makes sense. And then salad onions. I'm not chopping everything. Some things were already chopped, so you, you won't be sitting here for hours just watching me chopping. <laughs> right. Okay, so... You'll be forgiven when we can eat it. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to prepare them all. And then you get a chance to taste them. But I was making the point that one at a time, really. So you get the full effect of each one. Okay, so this is a mixture ready wash of rocket, spinach, and watercress. This recipe comes from a manuscript from 1390 from the court of Richard II. Oh, wow. And basically it just lists the ingredients. Mm -hmm. 
And they would have used those types of greens as well. Yes, I mean, there's a bit of poetic licensing. The rocket, they would have had um, different sorts of press, a little bit of poetic license, because I've added one or two modern things as well. So this is sorrel. Is it easy to find sorrel? Do you have to grow your own? I don't mind. <laughs> you grow your own? Yeah. I do, yes. Yes, having said that, um, most of the herbs I'm using, apart from those from my neighbour's allotment or my courtyard, come from Herbal Haven. Do you know Herbal Haven? They have a stall on Saffron Walden Market on a Saturday. Mm. Yes. Mm. Well worth visiting. One new boots or Yes. Yeah. This is a mixture. So I've got some nasturtium leaves. Sadly no flowers. I did want flowers, but uh, they've gone over. And actually, although having said that, I do have one plant that has some tiny buds on it. This is a type of cress. This is land cress bought from um, Herbal Haven. And it has flowers as well. Is that one you can forage as well? Probably. Hmm. I would have thought so, yeah. Now I've got a good foraging friend and I must ask him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do. Yes, mm. I'd be interested. Mm. This, the dark red, that is something called red boric, O-R-A-C-H-E, which we have had for a long time. That's a forage one. So how did you get into this in the first place? What food history? Um, I, I've always been interested, and I had a catering business for a while, and just got more and more interested in food history. Started doing demos on different topics, then started going. There were a couple of symposiums that uh, happened. One in York, which started at the University of Leeds. This is purple sage. I'm putting on that. Um, mint. What kind of mint? Is it just peppermint or chocolate mint or? No, I think it's fairly um, just an ordinary mint, common or garden one. Not, I mean, you could put whatever. Although they wouldn't have had the chocolate mint, eau de cologne mint, grapefruit mint, what other mints you get? No, I think this is a fairly basic, probably spearmint. Looking at it, although the the original recipe says red sage, purple sage rather. I don't find it as pleasant to eat raw as some of the other herbs. It's a bit tough. Mm. Oh, you can smell the lovely minty yes. here, can't mm. you? This, this is from my neighbour as well, but not the allotment. This is something called salad burnet. A pretty little leaf. Did they used to have to eat a lot of um, salad? back then since meat was so expensive. This would be part of a, a sort of high-end meal, a feast if you like, so expense wouldn't really come into it because they would spend as much money as they possibly could because they wanted to show off their wealth <laughs> um, and status. So the poor people so, were stuck with eating yeah, turnips and whatever. In a way it's unusual. In medieval times, they regarded eating raw fruit and vegetables with a lot of suspicion. And it all ties in with um, the medical theory, which was the four humours. So you, a bit like Chinese medicine today, all about balance. Food was all medicinal. So you would have, if you were, you were either sanguine, choleric, menacholic, melancholic. 
four, what was the fourth one? Phlegmatic, black bile, yellow bile, blood and phlegm were the four. And I think it's also tied up with earth, fire, air and water sort of idea. And now I've got, this is fennel and this is dill. Look very, very similar. Mm. Do. But have a totally different flavour than if I remember right, it's been a long time since I've had fennel. Fennel has a slight anise yes. to it. Yeah. Yes. And this is um, a herb they use a lot in um, Scandinavian. And the very last things are, courtesy of my neighbour, flowers. So these are pot marigold, calendula. That's really pretty. And so borage, I've got some leaves which taste quite cucumbery. They're heartsies. They're tiny, tiny pansies. Usually they're bigger, but this was all that Purple Haven had. And then that one will be done. Now, next up, we have a short interview with Mona Karaske and then a few responses from the audience. What made you decide to get into historic food demonstrating? I started doing demos on different topics. In fact, the first one I ever did was for a, a breakaway group that had been part of the WA, WI but, uh, oh, yes. in Thaxted. And I think somebody had let them down. So um, they contacted me and said, um, would you be free to do a demo next week on Scottish food? Because oh, their theme was Saints Days, yeah. so St Andrew's Day coming up. So that was the very first one I did. And then I did loads of others, um, WI, etc., yeah. on different topics, mm. but more and more into food history. Is the thing, the pleasure for you, the researching of the food history, oh, would you say? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. And cooking it, not just researching it theoretically, but actually cooking the recipes. And Yes. What got you into doing the Orchard Project? Because I know that's been really significant for you. Yes. I think I got really interested in orchards maybe round about... Oh, in the mid-90s, I think. The first Apple Day had been 1990, and I think it was sort of shortly after that. That was in, um, I think, it, was it the old Apple Market? In Covent Garden, anyway. Covent yeah. Ground ran it. And I heard about it on the radio, and I started getting interested. Um, I lived in Histon at the time, and there was Chivers, and they used to sell some of their fruit and I tried different varieties and thought, oh, this is nice. And it sort of grew from there and then I got um, got involved with East of, Ang East of England Apples and Orchards project briefly and then from that another project in Suffolk, Suffolk Traditional Orchard Group and then that led to Orchards East which came to an end you know, a couple of years ago really. Yeah. Lasted a bit longer than it should have done because of COVID. Because of COVID, indeed, indeed. So have you got any other projects coming up or is it more on the demonstrating side? Uh, more on the demonstrating side at the moment. Mm. So which would you say is your favourite salad? It always used to be the medieval one and then I made the 17th century one and decided actually the flavours and the textures are so interesting in that. But yeah, I think... It's a toss-up between the two. It depends mm. what mm. mood I'm in, really. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to ask the audience. What is your favourite salad? I really like the one with the dried 
fruit in uh-huh. it. I thought that was really delicious because I like all the olives and the pickles and, and I liked the dates and dried fruit. And nuts, I got a nut. I got one nut. You got one nut. You weren't so keen on the dried I'm fruit, so were you? You prefer leafy. I like leafy, so I like leafy the one. medieval one, which is ah. kind of a bit of a minty taste, I guess. Yeah, no, I like so that I, one. I like that I one. really like it. It's I like fresh. Leaf, I like yeah. leafy curry fresh. fresh. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my favourite. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think I've been inspired to use a few more herbs. So, don't necessarily you think of all the leaves. Stuff exactly, there's so many things yeah. that you can yeah. sort of And we, we, as you say, we're a bit lazy, aren't we? Yes, exactly. We're a bit lazy and yeah, well, I'm very yeah. practical and quick, to be honest. Well, I think when no, you work today. and then you come home and you I just know. do yeah. tried and tested, don't you? You so do indeed, yeah. exactly. Stick to yeah. But we can fun. Lots of fun. Get children yeah. involved or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Dressings as well. I think we're going to try the dressings. I like to dress. Yeah, they're brilliant. And that was Sue Bailey talking with Monica Askey about British salads through the ages at Saffron Walden Museum. The Instagram for the museum is, all one word, Saffron Walden Museum. And Monica's own website can be found at monica-askey.co.uk. <laughs> There's the music for news from social media. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, and opening yesterday in, in Cambridge by the station is Malloy's new craft fish butchery, and it's open from 10 till 6, Tuesday to Saturday. Chef Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, his next collaboration with Amphora is on Sunday the 6th of August. There'll be five courses and ten wines, and these sell out very quickly, so I would get booking now. Copper Crew Wines, which has wines in cans, has knocked a whopping £37 off a case of its wines, the red or the rosé. They're available now for £48 a case while stocks last. Finally, Heath Fruit Farm, in Bluntisham, the kiosk is open from Monday to Friday, 9 till 5, selling cherries at the moment, and the farm shop is open on Saturdays from 9 till 1, currently with cherries, apricots, herman, plums and new potatoes, and they're also at St Ives Farmer's Market today, selling cherries and apple juice. <laughs> And there's Green Onion signalling the start of our jobs section. And Midsummer House is looking to appoint a restaurant manager who can help to develop the business. It will involve managing a team of 12. It's a four-day-a-week job, and you can contact admin at midsummerhouse.co.uk for more information. And the same email for applications, which should include your CV. Senate Bistro is recruiting summer staff. If you're interested, contact them by email, enquiries at thesenatebistro.com, by phone on Cambridge 315 or just pop in for a chat. Now, the Tivoli on Chesterton Road is looking for a front-of-house team member. Pay is £10 to £11 pounds per hour. You get free meals on shift, product tastings, development schemes and an extra day's holiday for your birthday. And now a quick round-up of other jobs currently available in and around Cambridge. To apply, go to the company's website or pop in for a chat at a quiet time. Beginning with the Petersfield pub on Hooper Street, they're looking for a head chef. Pay is 38 to 40 k a year and there's a 50 
20% discount on all food and drink. Steak and Honor want you to join their team. Full-time and part-time positions are available in their vans and at their shop. If you're interested, you can pop in or you can email hello at steakandhonor.co.uk. Parker's Tavern on Regent Street needs a sous chef and a chef de partie and Emmanuel College is looking for a chef de partie as well where you would work on the whole gamut ranging from high-volume cafeteria-style service to fine dining. Flatiron in Market Street are advertising for a sous-chef. Among other reasons to join them, they say, we close all our restaurants annually for the most epic of parties. Cool. <laughs> uh, and finally, Franco Banker in the centre of town are looking for a full-time pizza chef. You'll receive development to move up to Hedge Pizza Chef. Uh, free pizza on shift and free sourdough bread to cook at home. And money too. They're not going to pay you in just pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to the end of today's programme. Don't forget, you can catch Flavour on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We're repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm.